great to be with you this morning. Um, I'd like to start this morning. We're, t- we're talking this morning about standing out, and essentially how I've interpreted that is thinking about how I can live my life in a slightly different way to what my default setting might be. And Sarah, um, last week, or it might have been the week before, I lose track of time, which is um, slightly apt for this morning's message, um, talked about some of her favourite games that uh, she likes to play, a one favourite and one not so favourite. Um, I've been playing a game for a long, 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 long time. In fact, it's the longest standing game of my life that I wouldn't necessarily describe as my favourite game, but it's probably the game that I've been playing certainly chronologically for longest, and I bet some of you are, are avid players of this game as well, which is a game essentially called Who's Busiest? Has anyone played this game? I think I started playing this game when I was in secondary school. I can't really remember playing it in primary school. I think I had other things on my mind. But certainly secondary school, I've got a sister who's about 18 months older than me, and so we we played the game of who had most homework, who had most things to do, who got most grief from parents, who had the most activities to undertake. I'm one of four children, um, and I have four children myself, so I kind of know the the general layout of after-school activities and extracurricular activities and who can fit the most in. I then went to university, and uh, for students in the room, you will be playing this game, probably. Um, How many words do you have in your essays? How many consecutive essays, presentations, and now online delivery of uh, Vivas or OSCEs or whatever you happen to have as part of your university course, and how close they are together, and constantly comparing that with the, the people around you. I then started work, and uh, how many people play the Who's Busiest game at work? This is fun at work. There's so many different ways of expressing this. You can do the compare diaries. Who has the least amount of space between your meetings in your diaries? I play that game. I regularly win at that game. Um, Who has the most emails when they come back from annual leave? Anyone do that? Does anyone do the who has the most emails when you come back from a two-hour meeting? That is spectacular. And I think it's it's one of those games that you, you can even kind of translate into your home life. I play this game with my wife quite often um, in terms of who's had the busiest day at work. Anyone play that? No? It's a dangerous game. I didn't realise at the outset of that game that I was contractually obliged to lose. (laughs) That was an interesting lesson to learn. Um, But you have that, and then you have the when it's, it's your turn to look after the kids, who's had the busiest time with the kids or the most stressful time with the kids or who's had to take them to the most different kind of areas. Again, contractually obliged to lose. Um, But I found that I play that game almost without thinking about it and that time has become a fascinating thing in my life in some respect because I don't know about you, I've I've been reflecting on this quite recently, sometimes openly and overtly just in the office to people who don't really want to hear what I have to say, Um, but sometimes just kind of on, on my own about how quickly time seems to go. I found myself saying recently, you know, I feel like a blink and three weeks have gone. And it just and it, and I think it's there's that kind of constant game of who's busiest, and if we'll know in small groups we're doing the ruthless elimination of hurry material that's hugely apt for me personally, and I, I know it's a fantastic book and fantastic material. So if you get the chance to to engage with that, please do. But there's that combination of how busy you are, and then also the fact that I'm, I'm getting older, not old, older. And I th- kind of think, do you know, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s, I work full-time, I've got four kids, I've got various other kind of commitments and, and things going on. But also, time just seems to get faster as you get older. Does anyone else feel that? 
Yeah. Now, there are psychological theories as to why this is. Actually, how sometimes we, we tend to think of time going slower when we were a child and going faster as we go on. And there's a few different theories. One of them is a pure, really nice and simple one, which I can follow, which is percentages, which is that essentially, you know, when you're 10 years old, a year is 10% of your life. So it feels like a longer period of time. Whereas when you're 50, a year is 2% of your life. So it feels like a lot, fa- sorry. So it feels like a lot faster as you go on. And that's, that's quite a nice, simple theory. There's another theory which talks about neural processing and how fast your neurons fire within your brain, but also how much space they have to go across. So, for example, when you're smaller, or when you're not necessarily smaller, when you're younger, your brain doesn't have as many connections within it. When we get older, we tend to make more connections within our brain as we learn different things and go through. And when you have more connections, theoretically, you have a greater distance for the signals that process within your brain to travel across, which means that you process particularly visual images at a slower rate than when you're a child, because when you're a child, your visual cortex is firing, you know, not at a faster rate, but certainly is crossing a slightly smaller distance or making fewer connections, there's fewer synapses in there. And so you actually almost see the world in a slightly faster, higher frames per second for those who are into that kind of videography type. And you, so your experience of visual things tends to feel slower because you're processing more information than you do in the same amount of time when you get older. It's a theory, not proven either way, but it's an interesting one. Because when you think about your childhood, for many of us, we may have some quite um, profound imagery that goes along with that. There's some really um, kind of visual associations with when you think back to, you know, the summers that used to go on forever or the, you know, different holidays that you, that you went on or different experiences. Whereas as you get older, sometimes those visual images don't tend to be quite as, you know, if I was to ask you to visualize what you were doing three weeks ago, many of us would struggle. I can't remember what I was doing yesterday, most days. So it is a, a bit of a challenge, but time seems to accelerate as we go on. It tends to start a little bit slower and get faster and faster and faster. And I've noticed this when you talk, you know, when you talk to people about their kids. I've got four kids at the moment. Our eldest is nearly 13. Our youngest is four. 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 It's always nice to have that word of confirmation. Um, so, and I've, I'm finding that as they get older, I feel like their life is just kind of going and going and going. You talk to people who have older kids and they'll, you know, they'll say, you know, my son's 23. And I don't really know where that went. Um, and it does, does kind of feel like that a little bit. And you almost feel like time kind of escapes you if you're not careful. And it's caused me to reflect and think about, actually, what are the choices that I'm making today? And what are the impact on what's going to happen in five years' time and ten years' time? And what's the impact on my kids and on you know, the next generation, really, because if I'm not careful, I get so absorbed in the busyness that all I focus on is what's happening here and now, and I make decisions that are right for me at this moment. I might make decisions that are right for my family at this moment in time as well. But how often do I actually think, do you know what? What decisions am I making today that will affect what happens in five years or ten years? Because I'm not one of these people who has a five-year plan or a ten-year plan. Um, if you are, credit to you. 
Um, but I, I don't tend to think that way instinctively. I have to actively choose to think and go forward. And it, it's kind of made me reflect that actually time is precious, but that the opportunities that we have are also relatively uncertain. We don't know how much time we have. We, you know, I'm getting older. I don't know how long I've got. I don't know what percentage of my way through my life I am. I don't think any of us do. Um, if you do, you're probably missing a trick somewhere. Um, but I think it's something that has really um, sparked with me is how can we make choices and make decisions that actually impact the future and impact the next generation and impact what is going to be on? Because when we're talking about standing out... One of the things that I think will really help us stand out as people and as individuals is actually the choices that we make that influence other people. Not just self-centered, satisfying me here and now, but actually what am I doing to make a difference for those who are coming after us? And when you have kids, that kind of brings that into focus a little bit, but it also challenges it because all that kind of natural wants of what I want to do and the things that I want to do and satisfying me doesn't go away. You just have more tension, I suppose, between feeling that you should make decisions for your children than just for yourself. But if, equally, if you don't have children, you know, my, the, the question for me is what... What's the purpose of you being here? And that seems like a really massive question, doesn't it? But it's an interesting point for thought. What's the purpose of you being here? And how can you influence and affect and impact other people? You know, I, I became a Christian because essentially I wanted to have purpose in my life. I grew up in a Christian household, and we're talking about next generations and previous generations. And I, I come from a, a relatively, I don't actually know how long, but a relatively long line um, of Christians and a Christian family. My, my dad is a vicar in the Church of England. My granddad was a vicar in the Church of England. I haven't ca carried that family tradition on, so to speak. But I know that their um, influence and the values that they instilled in me made a real difference to me when I was growing up and made a real difference to the choices that I make now. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. But I also think sometimes we need to consider what our choices are doing and what our choices are making for the next generation. Regardless of whether you have children of your own, you can still make choices that impact the next generation. You can still have an influence on people who are younger than you. You can still have an influence on people who will be here after you're gone. And that brings up an interesting point because when we have purpose to our lives there's something satisfying about that there's something fulfilling about that and that ultimately is what Jesus did for me is he brought purpose to my life I grew up in a Christian household and got to the point where I had to decide whether or not I actually believed the stories that were being told in Sunday school and from a Sunday morning where they actually meant anything because if they didn't mean anything I was wasting my time and it's completely pointless but if they were true and if they were meaningful then it would change and transform the way I thought about my life the purpose that I had for my life the reason for me being on this planet and I made a decision to believe and to choose to invite Jesus into my life. And at that moment, I discovered the purpose that I have, which is to live for something beyond who I am in my everyday today. It's to live beyond the busyness of the office and the busyness of everything that goes on in life. It's actually to impact other people and to reach people.
and to, bring, to, to communicate to them the freedom that Jesus brings to them. And that, I believe, is a purpose for all of us. It's not just for the people standing on the stage with a microphone. This is the, the, you know, all of our purpose is to communicate the goodness of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, the truth of God, the love of God to those around us in every situation and to not get so absorbed in the busyness. So having made that decision, if you haven't made that decision and you want to this morning, there's an opportunity for you to do that. Please do come and chat to people at the end who will be willing to pray with you. And you can make a decision to follow Jesus and find that purpose for you. So don't let that opportunity go. If today is your day, then take that opportunity. But having made that decision, the question is, what are we going to do with that? Because actually, we need to think about how we are making decisions and how we are living for the people who are to come after us or the people who are behind us. You know, there's a, a, um, an advert that I've seen running. I think I've seen running on Facebook. I'm not sure if it's been on TV. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on around, at, at the moment around climate change and thinking about the next generation. Um, and there's a, an advert for um, a charity that do tree plantings. And it's got um, George the Poet is the, the orator behind what is being done. If you know George the Poet, you know how just quite how articulate he can be in some of the things that he says. And he starts with this line, which is essentially, in a hundred years, all they will know about us is the world that we left behind. And while his thought is around climate change, which is valid and really important, but actually there's some truth to that in terms of our families and the people that are going to come after us. You know, in a hundred years, all they're going to know about us are the people and the world that we left behind. So let's leave behind something meaningful. Let's leave behind a purpose. Let's leave behind something that means something. And to do that, we have to have a generational mindset. We're going to read a passage in scripture, um, which is from uh, Judges 2. So Judges 2 verses 6 to 10. This is at the start of the book of Judges, which comes just after the book of Joshua. Joshua was the leader of the Israelites when they came into the promised land, having been kind of rescued, brought out of Egypt through the Exodus. They go through the desert, spend 40 years wandering in the desert with Moses. They get the Ten Commandments, they get the Red Sea crossing, not in that order. They get various different miracles and things, and then they get to the promised land. Joshua leads the people into the promised land, and they have the wall, the fall of the walls of Jericho. They have some amazing battles that they, they fight, and then they settle in the promised land. And Judges starts like this. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, which is fairly impressive innings. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance, at Timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. One generation who saw all of the miracles of God. And, you know, when we read the Bible, there are things in there that you think, wow, if, 
if you could even just imagine, you know, beginning to think about what it would be like to experience those miracles that went on through the life of Moses, through the life of Joshua, and came all the way through. And this generation settled in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey that God had promised them and their generations for, for years and years after, generations and generations and generations beyond. And within one generation, another one grows up who don't know the Lord and don't know the things that he has done. Now, whatever you may want, for the next generations, whatever you may want for, the, for those who are coming after us, that's not it. That's not what I want. It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And there's a whole redemption story that comes after that, of which Jesus is the ultimate culmination of. But it is possible for the next generation to not know the Lord, to not know the things that he's done. So what can we do about that? Um, Psalm 78 says this. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words coming out of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. His power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob, established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God, would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. I find that interesting in a couple of ways. One is tell stories to the next generation so that they would trust, that they would know God, that they would place their hope in him, that they would place their faith in him. But also so that they would not be like their ancestors. I think every generation has this kind of dichotomy of you know wanting to be a little bit like their parents but also desperately not wanting to turn into their parents. And it's nice to know that that's biblical, because actually we don't need our children to become like us. What we want is for them to know the Lord, to trust the Lord, to have hope in him, to have faith in him, and then to express that in the way that makes sense to that generation. I think you, you, you've, if you search online, because I did, there's all sorts, all sorts of different quotes about different generations and how essentially the younger generation always feel like the older generation know what's best for them. And the older generation always feel like they know what's best for them, but that equally they knew better than the previous generation. None of that matters in many respects. What matters is that Regardless of how old you are, of what stage you feel you're at in terms of older generation, younger generation, middle generation, X, Y, you know, whatever, that actually you know God, you love God, you place your faith in God and place your hope in God. And that that is the driving force behind how you live your life and how we live our lives together. So this is a few very quick, practical points that we can do to encourage the next generation and to build for the next generations, to set 
set the precedent for how you should live your life, fully acknowledging I have no idea what my children are going to face. I don't know what sort of situations they're going to come up against. I don't know what their life is going to need to be like. But I know that this is the right foundation to start with and the right foundation on which to build. So point number one, tell stories. Tell your story. You know, if you're a Christian and you came to faith, tell your children how you came to faith. Tell your children about God, about the things that God has done. That's a tricky one because you have to... And I, this, this is something that I... I think you're probably picking up just from this sentence that I struggle with in some ways because sometimes it's knowing the right context in which to talk to your kids. Sometimes it's knowing the right way in which to tell these stories. You know, there are experiences that you go through in life that can be quite traumatic, that God sees you through, that God actually has a significant um, role in bringing you out the other side and in which he demonstrates his faithfulness and his healing. And sometimes that can be difficult to articulate to a five-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 13-year-old or an 18-year-old. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And so telling your stories communicates, one, who God is, the character of who God is, but also what he has done. It's the application. You know, we read the Bible, and the Bible is is full of amazing stories of how God has helped his people, and those are important stories to tell and absolutely should be the starting point. But the application of what God does in your life matters because it changes it from being a, a load of stories in a book about people who lived a long, long time ago to actually who God is and what God is doing now in your life and has done in a life that they relate to and that they know and that they bring they, they can have an appreciation of. So what has God done for you? You know, you're telling your story, you're telling his story as well. What has God done for you and what has God done in your life? And why are we doing that? So that they would put their, their trust in God, would not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. You know, Psalm 22, 30 to 31 says this, our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. And like I say, I'm here as testimony to that, of growing up in a family where those stories were continued and brought on. But it's not dependent on your biological parents or on your biological children. This is about telling your story to those around you, to the people that you know, and in the way that makes sense to them. So tell your stories, tell his stories, and lay foundations. So tell your story, lay some foundations. Lay foundations for, the ch- for your children and for the next generation to build on. And we can do this as a church, but also you can do this in your life with the the young people that you interact with. Many of the foundations and kind of principles that I've built my life on, I've learned from people who are outside of my family who might even have just been a couple of years older than me and just going through something slightly different and demonstrated a different foundation or from youth leaders or from friends of the family or from aunts, uncles, various other people. You don't have to be a parent to do this. You can lay foundations for the next generation. Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 7, 
is the original verse for something that, that Jesus quotes later on in Matthew. Which, um, well, it's not the original verse. This is actually a requote of a previous original verse. But the Bible, when the Bible repeats things, then it's usually something important. Um, and it says this, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Sound familiar? And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, all your strength. Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment of all the law? Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've lost track of the number of times I've said to my kids, essentially the equivalent of treat people the way that you want to be treated. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is a difficult one for children to get. It's a difficult one for parents to communicate in some ways because we're not often good at modeling it. (laughs) If we're honest, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all all your soul and all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Often, I'm not good at modeling that to my kids. I'm not good at modeling that when I'm at work. I'm not good at modeling that in various different social situations because if we're honest, it's easy to be unkind. And kids find that as they grow up. It's easy to be unkind. But we have to choose to demonstrate something different. We have to choose to stand out. We have to choose to set an example for the next generation so that they will do what is most important. So, lay the right foundations. Foundation of love. Then we need a foundation of prayer. Don't know how many of you were here um, at various different Sundays throughout um, lockdown. You may have been watching online. You may not have been engaging with us as a church. There was a Sunday when we were here when um, we we were at that stage of um, with praise and worship where the band could sing but the rest of the congregation couldn't. And Steffi was leading worship, and we didn't have kids' church going at the time, so I had, I had kids in with us, and I had my five-year-old Nathaniel with me, um, and they did um, a song um, called Talking to Jesus. It's Maverick City music. Is anyone familiar with this? Steffi sang this song, and the, the, the bridge or the chorus essentially, essentially is because I'm talking to Jesus. And she encouraged us, because we couldn't sing, to just, while they're singing, just talk to Jesus. And said, right, we're just, just going to talk to Jesus, so go. And I was holding Nathaniel at the time and just started praying. And while I got about three or four sentences into what I was praying, Nathaniel just cuddled into me, closed his eyes, and just went, Dear Jesus, thank you that you saved us, that you died on the cross for us. And just started into this prayer that just broke me and because as a dad my desire is for for him to grow up for all of my kids to grow up knowing Jesus on a personal level and that's a connection I can't make for them you know, you, you can talk about Jesus, you can teach about Jesus, you can read the Bible, you can, you can do bedtime stories, you can do prayers before bedtime, but you cannot make that personal connection for a child. 
And Nathaniel has this fantastic way of humbling me in the way that I pray as well, because we, we do this thing when he goes to bed of, right, Nathaniel, what are we going to thank Jesus for? And inevitably it's a, I don't know. Um, so, right, what are we going to thank Jesus for today? I don't know. I, okay, well, I'll start then, Nathaniel. I, and, and I usually start with something like, one, this, this night was no exception. I started with, right, Jesus, um, I would like to thank you for ice cream, because I think keep it light. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll start, start something relatable. We can go with that. So, okay, Jesus, I thank you for ice cream. Nathaniel, your turn. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for our sins, that you saved the whole world. And I'm like, how shallow am I? But we need a foundation of prayer, and that's something we need in our lives. Do you know, it's, it's, it's not just about instilling it in kids. Actually, if we're honest, we need to pray more. We need to have that foundation of prayer. We need to love people more. We need to pray for those after us and, and for those around us. So foundation of love, foundation of prayer, um, and we need a foundation of faith. And by faith, I mean, actually, what do we believe God wants for our lives and as children you know believing that God is faithful believing that God cares about us and that God actually has a plan for us we were on holiday in Scotland over the summer and we went on a bike ride um, and my four-year-old gyro was riding a bike for the first time and we were riding along these um, by the side of the the lock and she just randomly out of the blue said to me daddy I know where God wants us to go and I thought wow because you, you read about these words of confirmation from kids, right? That actually she's going to say, right, Daddy, I want to, God wants us to go to this tiny little village in India. And he wants us to, to make a real difference to this community and to build a school and to, you know, various other. And I was thinking, you know, this, this is going to be something I'm going to write about in future years. And I said, okay, Jaira, where does God want us to go? God wants us to go get an ice cream. Now, whatever you may think about spiritual blackmail, we did go and get an ice cream. But I also, just that faith of actually, you know, God cares and God wants me to enjoy my day and God wants me to have, that's appropriate for a four-year-old, that's fine. You know, sometimes I think as adults, God just wants us to go and get an ice cream and to, to enjoy life. But you need that foundational basis. So you've got foundation of faith as well as foundation of prayer and foundation of love. So lay some foundations, you know, tell your stories, lay some foundations, and then ultimately go to Jesus. One of the really famous passages in the Bible, um, which is Matthew 19, 14, says, Jesus said, let the children come to me and don't hinder them because the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these. Sometimes we just need to go to Jesus, to bring our children to Jesus and to sometimes get out of the way as parents. But if you're not sure, if you're not sure how this is relevant to you, if you're not sure how to bring your children up if you're a parent, if you're not sure how to influence the next generation, if you're not sure how to communicate and articulate God's word to people, go to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Have that foundation of prayer because sometimes that's all that you can do. You know, there are no perfect children. There are no perfect parents. You know, there'll there'll be people in this room potentially have estranged children or who are children, you know, estranged from from your parents and, 
you know, don't don't get along and don't see eye to eye. And listening to me today might even be thinking, I, I don't see how that is even possible with my kids. Sometimes all we can do is go to Jesus and to bring them to Jesus and to pray for them. And so that's what I want to do to finish. I want us to do something this morning. So this is less of a kind of receiving response and more of a doing response. Because what I'm going to ask us to do, regardless of whether you're a parent, a grandparent, whether you've got any kids at all, I'd like us to pray for the next generation. To pray for our children. To pray for one another, that we would have the wisdom to know how to help people. If, you, you know, if you're not sure what to pray, pray for the parents in this room because we all need it. Um, so I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to sing a song. But for the first verse, chorus, however, however far you feel, I actually want to encourage you not to sing, but to pray. Take it to Jesus can be as specific or generic as you like think about somebody in your life that you want to bring before Jesus or think about an issue that is going on in the world that you want to bring before Jesus but whatever you do pick something and take it to Jesus and ask for his wisdom for his blessing for his hope for his faith and just take this opportunity because that's what we want to do. We want to build for the next generations. And we can start that right here and now with this song. So can I encourage you just to get to your feet? And Dave and the guys are going to lead us. But just however long you want, can be short, can be long, whatever you want to do, just pray and lay it at the feet of Jesus. And trust and believe for him to make a difference in your life.